0: Up. Hello everyone! Welcome back to A Pot of Their Own. This is episode 32. I am Allison McCaig and I am joined this week once again by my lovely co-hosts, both of them this time, Linda Surovich. Hi Linda! Hey Allison and Maggie Wiggin. Hi Maggie. Hi Allison. Yay, we're reunited again, and it's been a minute since we've been in your feeds. Um, but we're in the slow part of the uh, off season now, so actually, not much has happened for once. We, our, our premonition about uh, off season recording has finally come true. At least when it comes to the Mets, I feel like because um, the Mets are just kind of chilling. Rolling right along, they have hired um, their coaching staff. So it's kind of the major positions are filled now. So um, Chili Davis has returned as hitting coach, um, and they have hired two new coaches. They have hired Hensley Mullins as their bench coach and Jeremy Hefner as their pitching coach. Um, So, do you guys have takes on either of those two hires? I mean, it's kind
1: of weird because it seems like they did something smart. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, from what I've been reading, um, these have been both really good hires. Um, I've Even when everything I read about Hefner when he was with the twins, it looked like he was very heavily into analytics, and um, he just seemed to, like, hit the ground running with them. So... I mean, when I heard that he was one of the finalists for the position, I was like, "Please, please, 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 please!" And they did something right, so I'm um, actually pretty pleased. And by all accounts, um, what was Hensley Mullins? Is that it? Yeah, Muelins, How do you pronounce this yeah. land? Mullins. Um, by all accounts, he's been um really good with the Giants and probably is long overdue to have a coaching position but so and has the connection to Beltran too I think they both have a connection to Beltran if I'm not mistaken yeah he
2: was he was uh, Beltran's hitting coach yes so yeah
1: so giving Beltran support is actually good since we saw the opposite happen with Mickey Calloway when he first got hired so it seems like they're trending in the right direction
2: yeah I think, in terms of like in terms of kind of risk level, I do feel like this is a high risk group in general because they went for three first timers for the position, I believe um, and that's uh it's an interesting call, but I would take it over what they tend to do, which are go with people who have previously failed because <laughs> because why why always with the failure i don't um it just seems like a risk but a different kind of risk and one that has potentially a lot more upside than like another guy who has lost three jobs before you know um and i do i am actually really happy also to see that phil uh, Phil Regan is staying on the staff um and, like, not in quite as high-profile a role, but I thought he really clicked with the pitching staff. I think he'll be a really good mentor for Hefner in a lot of ways. Like, I think that's a really positive dynamic, and I'm glad that they're keeping it. Why always with
0: the failure, the New York Mets story? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, I agree with both of you. I think that, you know, it's 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 certainly risky to have – um to support Beltran all these guys who you know are, are pretty new at this I mean Mullins was the bench coach toward the end with his tenure with the Giants I believe like he was the hitting coach okay. most of the time yeah and then I think toward the end he was the bench coach for like a year or two maybe? yes I think he was. um so he has been a bench coach before briefly um But I do like that they're surrounding Beltran with guys that I think play up his best assets. I'll say that. Um, Guys like Mulins who, you know, um, speak five languages and seem to really be like a player's coach, which I think is the way like Beltran's going to manage. Um, we know Marcus Stroman already was extremely impressed with him. Marcus Stroman tweeted that about that today, or was it yesterday? I think it was today. No, it was
1: today. Yeah. yeah.
0: Stroman tweeted about how he sat down with Beltran and he was super blown away by his knowledge of the game and he can't wait to play for him. And so that's the type of stuff you want to see. So that's pretty exciting. Um, and yeah and Jeremy Hefner you know not too far removed from being a player just like Carlos Beltran Um, and so you know I feel like they they're the type of coaching staff that are going to be like a player's coaching staff so to speak Um, so we'll see how that goes Um, you know I think that the trope that Beltran needed a veteran to guide him was a bit overdone even if there was some substance to it but like like we said in a previous pod, like what the heck did Jim Riggleman ever do to help anything? So, <laughs> right.
2: What's all the failure?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so you know, this is a fresh change that I like to see. And hopefully, you know, it turns out on more of the positive and more like the forward thinking end that we like to see when we hear of More fresh hires, and not, and we're not talking about, oh, they're inexperienced by, you know, mid May or whatever. Um,
1: but, and Strowman also defended Beltran against the cheating, too.
0: He did. Yeah.
1: So it seems like Strow was. Fully on board. Yeah, so can we just extend him?
0: <laughs> I know, right? Like, Stroman bought in from like day one. Remember when like there were like thirty seconds there when people were like, hey, he didn't want to be traded to the Mets. He wanted to be traded to the Yankees instead. And ever since then, he's been like fully bought in to the Mets. Um, I don't agree with his stance on the black uniforms, and I do not want to talk about the black uniforms on this no, podcast cause no, no. we've already gotten too many. Too I think to talk about, about the
2: black uniforms because no! it's, that kind of, it's that kind of off season.
0: We can talk about it, but my point about Strowman is that even though I disagree with his stance about the black uniforms, it's another example of him, you know, fully embracing the Mets. Um,
2: yeah, which I like. like the culture of the the culture the, the good side of the culture with the Mets. Yeah, they I don't want to be like embracing all the Mets culture. That is a dangerous <laughs> fully embracing <masculinity>. Mets culture <laughs> is bad. But actually. like, but the he he he's the bought into the fair.
1: yeah. Yeah, like he's proud to be a Matt. And, you know, that's not something we've had recently. Like, usually it's, oh, God, shame, shame, shame. I can't put this uniform. Like not that a player said it, but like, you know, you kind of thought twice wearing your jersey out in public. Yeah. So, so, you know, he's somebody that makes you proud to be a fan again.
0: Exactly. And Linda, I think you've talked about that in the past with this uh, on this podcast. And it's just nice to have players who like being Mets. It's it's like as simple as that.
2: It's fun to have players who like being peace. Mets. Big Pete's another one. Yeah. He just seems oh, yeah. like genuinely happy to be here, specifically here. Yep. And that's, um, that's pretty nice. I'll take it. It's refreshing.
0: That's something you like to see. And I think that you know, this coaching staff, these coaching staff hires only kind of like highlight that in a way. Um, so that's good. I hope that I hope that all of this works out. I <laughs> yeah. Desperately want them to succeed as a unit um, under Beltran because you know I want nothing but good things in life for Carlos Beltran. So um, I'm hoping that it's not another instance of like <laughs> of kind of like um, what the what happened right after the Beltran hire, which is like the Mets did something smart. Oh no, he was instantly
2: implicated in a cheating scandal right after that. <laughs> That, that was peak like, Mets. That was the Mets thing I've ever witnessed in my life. So like, now even when waiting. they do
0: something right, like it has to Mets always. Yeah. Now yep. I'm just waiting for the
2: other shoe to drop on these two seemingly good players. Well, and it was, was also the same week. Like they made the good Beltron hire. They got a Rookie of the Year, and they got a Cy Young. And then immediately, it was like. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Nope, Mets fans, you're not allowed to be happy for more than five minutes. That's the rules. Wah wah. Um, but yeah, it is slightly confusing that they like seem to be going this direction, but then they're like, "All right, Chili Davis, you can stay."
2: That's kind of oh. weird. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not thrilled with the Chili Davis uh, retention. That was not. That was not what I was hoping for. But not I also just. know that like. In the in the land of overrated roles, the hitting coach is king of them all.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: And but I still I don't know. I just how how do you have Wilson Ramos hitting so many ground balls? I just don't understand it. It (laughs) I was going to
0: say retaining Chili Davis for his star pupil, Wilson Ramos. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh,
1: and
2: also the arguments like, well, look at what he did with like Pete and Jeff. No, they're just good. They're just yeah. good at
0: baseball, man. I was
2: like, oh, like, look at the season Jeff McNeil had. Like, look what the season he had last season was. It was the same season. That's yeah. why yeah. I liked him.
0: Yeah. And it's like, only like. I don't know. It's like (laughs) the Mets are like, oh, we've hired these dudes who are like analytics forward, and then we've kept this guy who thinks that hitting ground balls is the solution when the balls are juiced. Cool.
2: I think
1: you made the good point that like the one person who seemed to benefit was Dominic Smith.
2: Yeah, Dominic Smith. And then uh, the other one is uh, Ahmed Rosario, who are two hitters that kind of don't really fit the – more classic modern mold and are probably going to suffer from being crammed into it but like you don't need to make him the hitting coach for the whole team just for them and yeah. who knows what Dom's future is here I was gonna say yeah.
0: <laughs> unless Dominic Smith is traded for Starling Marte <laughs> oh, which
1: brings
0: Dom. us to our next Uh, topic of discussion really the only other Mets news besides um, the hiring of the coaching staff is that the Mets appear to be interested in a trade for Starling Marte Um, which they absolutely
2: should be I mean yeah sure sure okay player don't think it's gonna happen but sure
1: is his defense really that good though
0: defensive metrics uh differ (laughs) Um, (laughs) like I get he might be better than you
1: know what they have now because what they have now are not real center fielders and he is actually one. But is it worth it for maybe an upgrade defensively? I don't know.
0: I don't know. He's a good hitter though. And I mean it yeah. would be an upgrade just like overall to the whole picture of your outfield depth for sure, because the Mets right now have like no outfield depth whatsoever. There's um, always Jespitas. You know. <laughs> yeah there's always no, there isn't we can dream we, we can dream. dream i mean it does like if they do do this trade for starling marte and Saspidus comes back then it becomes awfully crowded but um but that's kind of a like that'll be a good problem if it happens sort of thing
2: um yes indeed that is like the absolute best kind of problem to have
0: true that's a, this is a, a Linda specific trigger warning. So cover your ears. Linda. I know, I know. Uh, I need
1: to like take my, my, that's a tra- trade JD now. Davis midseason
0: situation. Um, yeah. I mean, Starling Marte is almost guaranteed to um, provide value beyond his salary. Um, How many years does he
2: have left? He has two. two, two. Well, one and an option. I think one is an option. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So two years
2: of control
0: and they are and they are, you know, cheap given his his production most recently in his career. Um, But the the price to get him will not be cheap. And the Mets have already somewhat emptied their farm system. um, So do they really need to be continuing to do that who knows it really depends on the price you know i could see you know their pre-arbitration players i.e smith and, and or davis being part of this trade um but the problem with especially jd davis in that scenario is that you're kind of trading outfield depth to get outfield depth and you're just prioritizing that this one can play center field i mean he is a better fit for the roster but yeah i don't know i don't know i guess i still He's a good baseball player
2: I'm just still not 100% convinced that Nimmo can't stick there for oh, a I'm couple nice. seasons. Like, I just, the talk about, like, oh, this only not like they can put Cespedes in center. You know, Michael Conforto is bad in center. Nimmo, Nimmo is on the roster. And, like, I, I totally, obviously, no question, they need to do better than Lagaris for a backup. But, like, it seems like the widespread expectation is that they must get a starting center fielder and i just don't see it yes i'm with you like
1: spend on the bullpen spend on a starting pitcher um should have spent
2: on the starting
1: catcher but oh well Um, yeah or a backup catcher like on the list of issues i think you can survive a very good hitting outfield
2: um I would yeah. take most of last season's lineup as is and would just too. put all the money into pitching and bench players. Like yep. the starting, if you got your starting outfield of McNeil, Nimmo, Conforto, and then you've got, um, Alonzo, Cano, Rosario, Davis. I mean, that's a perfectly, that's a perfectly crumulent lineup like that's a that could be a very good lineup um and we saw that when they were firing on all cylinders they could be at anybody yeah and I think the problem is you get like injuries and then you're playing like freaking Aaron Altair out there um and they need to not do that (laughs) they need to like I don't know what it takes (laughs) they just need to be in a position where they're not doing that um and then the pitching and like and that's I mean I feel like those are big things but certainly not bigger than all those things. Plus also a starting outfielder because you just don't want Nimmo out there. I guess I, I don't, it it seems kind of odd to me that it's just taken as like axiomatic that the Mets have to get a center fielder.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's like, I don't, I don't disagree with the idea of this trade on principle, like on paper, yeah, I, it's fine oh, to me. I like Marte. Like Marte is a good player. It's fine to me on paper. And like most of the proposed, like packages that have been thrown out there, like are things that I would give up for Starling Marte because he's a good baseball player on paper. It's fine. I am worried about what it implies for the Mets, what the Mets think their priorities are. Um, Yeah. I think that it indicates that they have bought into this narrative that the starting center fielder is the most important hole on the roster and they can therefore just kind of after if they do this trade, they can kind of be like, oh, well, we took care of the most important thing. Fans, are you happy now? And not do the other stuff when the pitching is the more important thing and they should be prioritizing that. Now, if they trade for Starling Marte and fill all their pitching needs then great that's awesome I just worry that that's not gonna happen
2: yeah I don't I it doesn't seem like a like Marte doesn't feel like a depth building move because I feel like you're gonna have to move someone out that would have been there anyway and that to me is not optimal
0: and again, this is a cover your ears, Linda. I'm afraid Aww. it's Brandon Nimmo that will get benched instead of J.D. Davis. And I don't, I, I would rather, and it's not that I don't want J.D. Davis to get at-bats. I think J.D. Davis should get 300, 400 at-bats. But you can get him that without everyday left fielder J.D. Davis. You can get him that in, you know, combination left field, third base starts, uh, you know, twice two to three times a week while also getting him plentiful pinch-hitting appearances in key spots, which is, I think, the best role for him. Um, I I fear his exposure every day, left fielder J.D. Davis, and I think that Starling Marte um, in in center field with Brandon Nimmo and Michael Conforto at the corners is the better alignment, and also Starling Marte has hit righties better in his career, so it's actually kind of a weird like, pairing, so that makes me think that it's Nimmo that gets benched, which I don't like.
2: No. No, do not uh, want he, to bench Nimmo.
0: No,
1: he proved when he came back, when, oh, shock of all shock, when he's healthy, he was back to being Nimmo. Uh, like, the on-base percentage shot way up. Um, you know, he was still getting his... He, the power came back. Um, so... You know, he kinda needed a neck to be able to bat in the beginning yeah, of the year. Who knew? <laughs> like, you know, when you don't have a neck, it's that's not kind of
0: it's not important a good situation. to
1: Yeah, to be able to, you know, turn and swing and hit the ball. Um, so I don't know. I just don't trust I mean, this is also the Mets pattern. They never know what they have until it's too late. We saw it with Murphy when they got rid of him or let him go. Um We saw it with McNeil, how they took them forever to call him up. Uh, So, you know, until they prove otherwise, they might not know what they have
0: in Nemo.
2: Yeah, I I think the Mets still don't think Brandon Nemo is good,
0: which is an unfortunate
2: thing. I mean, they won't play him in center field, which is, like, again, I know he's not a great center fielder, but also, like, Starling Marte is not a, like, gold-glove center fielder either. I mean, actually... I have a couple. Um, I can't remember if he has any, but like now he's, he's basically a scratch center fielder and was actually like pretty below average this year, though. It's, I mean, one year of, of fielding stats is kind of wonky, but like it's, I don't know. It, It just seems to me that he's not that like Nimmo is not that much of a downgrade defensively from any of the options that are easily available to them. So I don't know why. Again, it just comes back to, like, what what do they have against Nemo?
0: Who's, I don't know. Whose
2: wife did he, like, <laughs> take out one night? I
0: don't know. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's confusing. It's confusing, but. Or what it.
1: their plan is. Like, why are you focusing on this? Can you maybe re-sign Wheeler? That'd be like, great. that, yeah, right. that would be what i would be focusing even bringing back darnell would have been fine no boy he's gonna Mm -hmm. he's
0: gonna beat the crap out of the mets now everyone yeah
1: revenge tour but whatever (laughs) (laughs) what's to?
0: it's fine um In the meantime, um, we will um, cover all things Mets in future episodes of the pod. Um, But for now, we are going to take a break. And when we get back... We are going to bring a guest that we've already had on the pod back on the pod. Um, So get excited. Um, Dr. Meredith Wills is back, and she is going to talk to us about the postseason baseballs and the latest development in the are the baseballs juiced? Are they not? What's going on? um, Developments. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back, everyone. Um, we have a very special guest this week. Um, she's been on the pod before. Welcome her back. Uh, Dr. Meredith Wills, astrophysicist, baseball, uh, k- baseball contents extraordinaire, um, knitting expert, Hall, baseball hall of famer, you name it. She's it. Uh, she's back on the podcast um, to talk about the postseason baseballs this time. So hi, Meredith. How are you?
3: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Doing great. Um, so the uh, baseball, the story of the juiced slash de-juiced slash who knows what baseball <laughs> just keeps on getting. Uh, the plot thickens ever th- ever thicker as we go. Um,
2: but as thick as the as the baseball cords. Ooh, we may ooh. never know.
0: We may <laughs> yeah, never know.
3: Yeah, <laughs> plot so.
0: thickens as the laces do.
3: <laughs> well, um, I still need to find out if the game ball places have thickened, but what we'll, we will. We will. We'll find so, out. Um... Yeah. Yeah. so just
2: to
0: set the scene for um, those of you who may not have been uh, following this as closely as all
3: of us nerds um,
0: mm-hmm. for Rob, those of
3: you who are hidden under a rock during the postseason
0: <laughs> for real um, so everyone pretty much everyone around baseball noticed with you know their eyeballs um, that the ball kind of appeared to be de juiced again during the postseason and Rob Arthur of baseball prospectus did some fantastic um, work on the actual data to show um, that it appeared to be that way, that it was trending in that direction. And then he later noted that there were vast inconsistencies in average daily air resistance during the postseason. And in fact, it was one of the largest ranges in individual aerodynamic performance in the last five years. Um, So this kind of runs counter to claims from Major League Baseball and Rawlings that they've improved the manufacturing process. And Manfred keeps insisting that the postseason ball is coming from the same batch as the regular season ball and that the only difference was that they put a postseason stamp on it. But the variability kind of contradicts that claim. So Dr. Wills um, did one of her studies into the postseason balls and found, you know, even more than she probably had bargained for. So, Meredith, can you tell our listeners about what you found?
3: Okay, yeah, this this one, I I guess uh, it's a great setup. Um, I remember when I, I. I guess I should start by saying that this became a weird enough thing where after a while. The science part almost took like a backseat to the you know, it, it almost felt like solving a, like literally solving a mystery in a detective kind of sense. You know, it's like, yeah, here I'm sleuthing about the 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 postseason ball. And are you like um, breaking
2: into factories with,
3: a baseball cap and dark sunglasses <laughs> i you know what I, if i could get I a watch to costa rica i might actually try that although my, my spanish isn't nearly as good as it used to be so um i'd, I'd probably i although you know maybe my dad would help and you know, he's a baseball guy and his spanish is really good so we could we he and i'll discuss that
2: afterwards this, <laughs> this is becoming more and more um, a TV show I want to watch. So, oh, yeah, God, yeah, yeah, it. no,
3: just, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm quite honestly like waiting for, I'm waiting to see how the, the book slash movie ends at this point. Um, you think I'm kidding. <laughs> so, but yeah, so, so what happened was, uh, you know, we had this insane, uh, insanely aerodynamic ball and broke all of these home run records. And then the ball, starting in the postseason at first it looked like it kind of fell off a cliff and then it it was kind of hard to tell game to game you know it's and some of it I think does come down to people seeing almost what they want to see uh because there were I remember having conversations with people where they'd be like yeah that would have been a a home run in the the regular season and you know if you actually looked at the numbers like well actually no usually a ball that went out at that launch angle and at that exit velocity 75% of the time was just a fly out so it's like yeah you know it it looks cool but actually no excuse me the other way around that would have been a fly out home run you see where i'm going yes, yes. <laughs> The, the point being that, that like people were seeing almost what they wanted to see to a certain extent. So it really took Rob Arthur doing that work. And, uh, his first work was, which I think is why everybody was so convinced at pure de de-ju- juicing was he was doing these week by week averages. And, um, MLB came out with, uh, you know, their, their lovely statement saying, uh, the, uh, all of the balls for the postseason are taken from regular season lots and that it's just the postseason stamp. One thing, by the way, that's sort of an interesting caveat is if you go back and you uh, listen to, I think it was an interview he did in 2017 uh, when the Astros. Um, well, we can talk about the other Astros stuff later. But anyway, you know, remember the Astros won the World Series in <laughs> oh, Yeah, those guys those guys yeah and and um there was a discussion at the time where they thought that the postseason ball might have been juiced and once again manfred said it all it's it's interesting it's an almost verbatim you know yeah we took the postseason balls from regular season lots it's like okay we've heard this before didn't realize that so i guess that must just kind of be a standard this is how we approach this question but um So, as you say, Rob then went back and and looked. um, Ignore the crashing in the background. My cats have just knocked over something big. I will check after (laughs) we finish talking. It's all right. I knew they were going to do this. The perils Um, of owning cats. Yes, yes. Particularly when they discover a few days earlier they can jump five feet vertically. Always good. (laughs) Anyway. The best. It it wasn't as bad as it could have been. But, uh, yeah, so... I guess long story short, we find that the you know they found the ball was or Rob I should say found the ball was all over the place as far as as drag, and so obviously gotta look at more baseballs because you know what else do I do with my life except knit and uh, do cool analytic stuff and look at baseballs. Oh my god! Uh, and you're have trying to convince us you're not over. a
2: superhero—it's not working.
3: I'm a superhero too, but that's a whole other story. You, you, again, you think I'm kidding. I'm not. Uh, goes back to the Astro stuff. But astrophysics, not the Astros. Sorry. <laughs> Too to, to specified. <laughs> sorry. I've never worked with the Houston Astros. This is a very um, merit
2: problem, I will just say.
3: It, it is. It fixing is. up the yeah.
2: astrophysics and the Astros is, like, not something everyone has to deal with. So, yeah. Fixing yeah,
1: astrophysics you know, might be easier than fixing the Astros right now.
2: Boy, howdy.
3: I'm. I'm. Yeah. That. That. That one's somebody else's problem. <laughs> so.
2: Yeah. For real. Yeah.
3: But so I, you know, decided. Okay. Great. You know. I'm going to see what's changed about the ball because clearly something had changed. Um. It was pretty pretty clear from the data that the issue was the drag. I mean, even um, uh, the Cardinals. And I love that. It it says a lot that the front office for the Cardinals let. Mike Schilt come out and and say you know our analytics group found this about the the drag being higher and it was like what four and a half feet on average the ball was traveling yeah I think uh, four and a half feet less but that's that's that's, well yeah it is a lot and in fact it's if you compare it to the kind of uh numbers that even for the home run committee report in 2017 what they were seeing as like the change that led to you know that that 2017 home run surge, back when we that was a really big deal, um, the uh, like at the very high end what they were seeing were increases of five feet, and that was like their their extreme. So if the average that the Cardinals were seeing was four and a half feet, that that said a lot. Uh, as far as i can tell you know for for the difference between the the postseason ball and the regular season yeah so and and again the very fact that their front office said yeah here sure bring this up in a press conference that's not usually crossover you run into a lot yeah because teams want to
0: protect the their data that only they have
3: exactly and and it was uh you know the them drawing attention to it i think this was, Im- understandably, this was important to the front office. This was important to the teams. This was important to the players. Because uh, I think what I've been calling it to a certain extent is this was the unpredictable.
2: Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I,
3: I, I do the pun thing occasionally. It happens. Um, but so, yeah, so it was obviously getting getting postseason balls is not easy anyway. Uh, Because it's a short period of time and because, you know, everybody, if you're going to have postseason balls, you know, nobody wants to, like, donate their foul balls or, you know, even uh, batting practice ones tend to be just regular, uh, regular season, all that kind of stuff. So it's, you know, hard to track down any kind of postseason balls to begin with. But, you know, I have ways and same kind of ways that I got uh, unused game balls, literally. From during the regular season, where you know it's the way that you do this stuff, I mean, journalists, same kind of thing, you have sources, and so I went to the people who I knew would be able to help and um ran into a lot of roadblocks that after a while seemed kind of preternaturally uh unreasonable, yeah. Uh, such that I literally had in some cases, you know, people where I, I you know, they sent me pictures of, oh, yeah, here are these, these unused game balls from, from the postseason that I have that I can can get to. And then I would hear back later and say, um, well, actually, I can't because if I do, I'm afraid it's going to affect my employment status. Ooh. Ooh. And it was like, you know, and, and it sounds like hyperbole, except that by the end of the process, I... Uh, that kind—I mean, I, I guess I can't go into a ton of detail, but but yeah, that that did basically happen. So um, it's they were they were completely justified in their paranoia, I guess is my point. Uh, so I don't fault any anybody for for not doing this, but it did mean that getting you know the the balls from people who had access to stuff that was going on the field just really was no longer an option. Um, and I did you know contact major league baseball directly about you know doing the study uh and the when i originally talked to them i just didn't hear back uh i did talk to them later uh after i'd gone through everything but you know i guess that we'll we'll leave that to the appropriate point in the story so (laughs) what ended up happening oh i mean like i said it's 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 not just the the standard, you know, scientific investigation. <laughs> it yeah, turned yeah. out to be very strange. Uh, so what I did was, you know, I said, okay, bite the bullet. And I went and I bought balls directly from Rawlings. And I went to an awful lot of trouble to make sure that these were exactly the same balls that were being used on the field during the games. And it was everything from, you know, they've got their website that's got stuff, you know, that, that along... Things that would basically say, "Yeah, this is the official, um, this is the official postseason game ball. This is the ball that's being used in all of the postseason games." Same thing for the World Series. The usage specifications on their websites said "Major League, comma, game," as opposed to a bunch of other kinds that said "Major League, comma, memorabilia." Mm-hmm. So, like, this is a game ball. Um, I, you know, double checked actually calling you know there's there's a little customer service phone number and so i wanted to make sure that this was all what they said it was and so i called customer service and you know talked to the guy and he went to his supervisor who then made a phone call (laughs) to come back and say yeah you know these really are the balls that are being used during the games on the field uh so and then they show up and every single thing says official game ball uh and the they have authentication stickers on them. Uh, they even you know, they came in like little boxes. Basically, it was like uh, it it was almost like they were designed for resale. And in fact, if you see picture, if if you've been in the major league parks at all, and certainly I even got someone to like look into this stuff at one of the postseason games at Nats Park. I mean, one of the World Series games, I guess. Um, you know, these were literally being sold in the team stores, and they had authentication stickers on them. You know, and again, the same packaging of the, you know, uh, this is official game ball. And there was sort of nothing there that said, okay, you know, clearly these are balls that are being used on the field. There was really no other way to, to interpret that. And so I should say they're not, you know, what I paid for them was probably half of the price of what they were being paid for in the um, in the parks and that was not cheap. So, yeah. you know, that's another good reason to think, okay, these probably are balls that are going on the field. <laughs> uh, but I then went through and actually found a bunch of stuff that was, um, that seemed to be consistent with what Rob's data were showing in that of the 36 balls that I had, um, two thirds of them were clearly not manufactured for the 2019 season. Um, And this is where I could go back and I had, you know, we're talking about the thicker laces thing, for instance. Uh, The laces were thicker from like the second half of 2015 through the end of 2018. Uh, You know, and then for this season, they got thin again. Uh, You know, so hence fewer pitcher blisters. Uh, But the, the balls that I looked at for, again, for two-thirds of, I had 36 baseballs. And so 24 of them, one had thicker laces. They were consistent with, um, you know, sort of that, call it the, the home run surge one ball, basically, the 2017 home run surge ball. Um, and then of the other ones I had, even though they were clearly 2019 baseballs, you know, like they fit all of those criteria, uh, what was interesting there was that, uh, they they still, seven of the 12 I got wouldn't have actually met quality control standards for game balls. Uh, in oh, that, that's not um, a good sign. Well, it's, it's, it's a weird thing because it has to do with the way that Rawlings, um, and I, I should say, in terms of me determining that these are the quality control standards, this is based on all of the research that I've done. It's not like I've been to Rawlings and they've confirmed this particular thing. They mm-hmm. confirmed a lot, but not this, this one in particular, um, which is that after the baseballs are made, uh, they go through and they put the stamp on, and occasionally they stamp the wrong side of the baseball. The ball gets stamped upside down. And it turns out that it's, like, really easy to spot because if the ball is stamped upside down, the stitches go in the wrong direction. Oh, yes, the- uh, Right, the V is the V is literally in its. You know, I have uh, counterclockwise versus clockwise, uh, and I, there's if you look at the athletic article that I have this great picture showing the comparison, and the ball itself could be game quality, like it could be as good as the ones going on the field, but just for whatever reason, quality control. If the laces are, you know, if they if they see the V in the wrong direction. They automatically throw it out and say this is something that will be sold to the public, not something that will be used in a game. So seven of the 12 from this one batch that was clearly uh, 2019 were, didn't meet game quality control. And then of the other two-thirds I had, none of them were made in 2019. <laughs> so it's like, okay, of 36 balls, I have five here that I am confident would have been... Regular season twenty nineteen game balls, which didn't really seem like the case. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe what we're dealing with is that the the reason the drag was down in the postseason or excuse me, drag was up in the postseason was because they were using baseballs from previous seasons. I mean, that's that would make a lot of sense, right? You know, because that's the the whole point is that the ball's not carrying as far, and we've just gotten out of a season where the ball carried further than it ever has in history. Um, it's a good way to do it. But on top of it, it also looked like, okay, maybe the quality control standards had been relaxed for whatever reason. Um, you know, and again, not that they wouldn't have been game quality, but just they decided, okay, the stamping thing isn't a big deal anymore. Uh so having come to these conclusions, I I contact uh MLB for a comment saying, you know, by the way, this seems to be what's happened in that there are sort of the standards that were used for the postseason are apparently very different from the regular season. And by the way, you're also using old baseballs, uh, which would explain everything that's going on. And rather than doing the standard, you know, you guys know how it is. You, you, you email whoever for comment for an article, right? This is just how it goes. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I emailed for comment and instead of getting the standard either no response or the nice polite email back i actually got an email um, from uh, pat courtney who's the chief communications officer with uh the commissioner commissioner's office saying actually can we do a phone call and he wanted to bring in um morgan sword who's the uh senior vice president of league economics and operations i think it's an impressive title. I don't remember the whole thing. <laughs> um, and they wanted to do a phone call. And so I was like, okay, you know, not what I expected, but we did a phone call and yeah, all of it's on the record. And so it was like, you know, it was, it was important to me to make sure that we could actually talk about like real stuff. And so I told them about all my results. And what they told me is they said, you know, first of all, that this this whole balls that were from, previous seasons didn't, wouldn't have made sense because they had assurance from Rawlings, and they were very, very specific about this, that all of the balls used in the postseason were made during the first quarter of 2019. Um, so that whole idea of old baseballs didn't make sense. And then they also assured me that any of the baseballs that I would have looked at would not have actually been Game balls they would have been what they referred to as memorabilia balls and it didn't sort of matter how much detail I went into about you know I should also point out that the the balls I bought all had authentication stickers yeah that's actually kind of important (laughs) they literally had authentication stickers
1: right right right.
3: it's not the same kind that you get, like, if you catch a foul ball and then you get someone to put a sticker on it, like, that I caught this pitch at this game or whatever. But it's comparable to, say, like, the authentication sticker you get on the hat that you buy at the park. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, people never, I, and I will admit, I find it a little silly that people leave, like, the hologram picture or hologram sticker <laughs> on the brim. It's yeah, like, some people are you really realize, anal about that. Yeah, and it's just like, <laughs> guys, it's just a hat. You know, whatever. <laughs> I, I I admit it's I not in mint condition if it has your brow sweat on it. Right, right. And you know, I mean, even in, in my case, you know, because of where they, they put the authentication stickers on the cellophane wrap on the outside, I might point out. So I deauthenticated all of my balls instantly because of course I had to actually look at them. I kept all the information. You know, I have all the stickers, I have all the the, the codes, but I, you know, like it's almost like, oh yeah, it's only authentic as long as you don't actually ever open it. It seems how (laughs) that seems to be set up, which is, is, yeah, a little bit, I guess I don't like that policy. It's like, you should at least be able to look at your own baseball. Come on. But, uh, so again, they insisted that these balls couldn't possibly be game balls. They had to be these memorabilia balls and ended up putting me in touch with the chief operating officer at Rawlings, uh, Dennis Solberger, who, um, You know, I got in touch with him and I told him all about the conversation that I just had with uh, with the um, with Pat Courtney and Morgan Sword and how, you know, they were saying these these couldn't be uh, game balls. And that, you know, just sort of because because frankly, I was expecting him to say, oh, you know, no, actually, they've got this backwards because particularly because everything I found fits so well with Rob Arthur's data. You know, it's like it makes a lot more sense actually if you guys were taking baseballs from previous seasons and just using them as postseason game balls. Right. Because right. that's just like, you know, that's a much better explanation for the data than the, oh, yeah, there's a one in 10,000 chance that this could be happening type thing, um, which I'm sure got only worse as the postseason went on. I haven't checked the final, the final odds with Rob. But I got a, a very, you know, thorough email back from Solberger. and he um, it, it basically said two things. One, he said that that um, that yes, they absolutely will take balls from previous seasons and put whatever stamp on them uh, that they keep. They keep uh, what they call blanks uh, in case they, I guess, in case they run out. Um, and that uh, I think the way he put it was that the balls that I bought were strictly what he would have called commercial balls and that they would never, ever have been on field. Like by definition, if they were in those packages, they would not have been, had the possibility of being game balls. And I guess that that's kind of the, the key thing is that, you know, I thought what I was buying, it's like, if you took it out of the box, you could in theory have used it in a game, you know, hence game ball um, and all the stuff. And so that was kind of like, Okay, we have two things. One, that means that all the data that I just gathered don't tell me anything about what really happened on the field in the postseason. And um wow, Rawlings has just said that they're, you know, marketing and authenticating stuff as game balls that apparently were never intended to be game balls. And I kind of went, okay. Uh, at which point I got in touch with people who were not scientists and said, uh, guys, can can we find a way to look into this where people who know more about this kind of stuff than, than I can do it? And so Katie Strang ended up writing this great kind of joint article with The Athletic where she then looked into what the implications were for, say, you know, Rawlings going through and representing these balls in at least a half a diff- dozen different ways as game balls, you know, unused game balls, and uh, that not being the case. And, uh, you know, mostly what I was left with was, okay, I got a study to finish, and uh, the worst possible source for me to go to is the actual baseball manufacturer. <laughs> 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 a little yeah. disturbing. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: It's like those... um. Have you guys ever heard those like I think it's Santander Bank the commercials where it's like your bank sent you on a wild goose chase?
3: <laughs> so <laughs> it's yeah, like I mean, that. it's just it's it's a little bit weird to be like okay, yeah, your least possible reliable source for game balls is the company that actually makes <laughs> the game balls. So so I mean yeah the 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 upshot for me is that uh, anybody listening, I'm. Really, I'd love to get my hands on some postseason game balls. Because, Do um, it for science. To get Meredith baseball. If you can donate your
2: body to science, you can donate a baseball to science.
3: Well, these baseballs are, in fact, giving their bodies to science. That's true. Yes. Quite literally, they are. In fact, Let them fulfill I, I, their destinies. <laughs> yes, I, I think... Um, actually, one of you guys might have even been in on this this back and forth where... I recently described my apartment as being a charnel house of murdered baseballs. Oh <laughs> yes. 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 That was <laughs> one, one of my like favorite Twitter it's threads just, of the week. It's just fun. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, although what I will say is that part of the reason it's important, I think for me to keep doing this is because while the Rawlings COO told me, okay, you know, yeah, 2018 balls showing up is entirely reasonable, which I, can't imagine people would necess- who are actually buying the balls would be happy with because like they're charging like they were charging on the concourse at Nats Park like you know forty to fifty bucks for one of these, <laughs> and so it's like all right you know says it's a game ball it's not a game ball it says it's twenty nineteen postseason whether or not a twenty eighteen ball would be part of the twenty nineteen postseason you know that also kind of like essentially how authentic is this really despite the authentication. And so from that point of view, I can see okay, this is probably an issue. However, um, Katie Strang, she talked to the chief marketing officer, uh, Mike Thompson, it sounds right. Yeah. I, yeah. That's yeah. It. Um, and what he said was that the, um, uh, Solberger talked specifically to the memorabilia balls or, or these, these commercial balls, whereas uh, what Thompson said was that they did the same, you know, having balls from previous seasons, specifically in the context of saving them for balls to be used on the field. So he and his statement to, to Katie said that they basically do the same thing for game balls. So the idea, in fact, that 2018 balls—I mean, the, the, I guess the, the hypothesis is still entirely reasonable because yeah. Rowling said, "Oh yeah, by the way, of course we would use balls from previous seasons. That's just part of our standard practice." So yeah. that's partly why I really want to get the game balls, is because they could still be 2018. It's just I need them to be game balls instead of commercial balls.
0: And this all goes to back. That. This all goes back to the simple fact that there are only two scenarios here when it comes to major league baseball, that they are either lying or they have no idea what their manufacturer is doing. And either one of those things is bad.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's let's a not little... overlook the possibility okay, that it's let's, both. Okay. <laughs> look, look, there, there is a third possibility. Um, it, it, I mean, you've got MLB potentially lying or not, you know, or or not knowing about the manufacturer, you you could also have Rawlings lying to MLB. Yeah, that's also cool. yeah. You know that that's that's not unreasonable. Um, it it's make, it's still disheartening, but it's not unreasonable. Someone's being shady. Yeah, but that yes. still
1: makes baseball look bad since they own Rawlings or are part owners in Rawlings. You would yeah. think you would know what they're doing.
3: Well, well, not only that, but um, you know, they they uh, what I will say, and again, I'm. It was more just my own interactions, but, uh, you know, uh, Courtney and Sword were were very, very, uh, you know, very adamant about the idea that these had to be memorabilia balls. Uh, and so there was, you know, that was a huge focus of the conversation. And um, then when they talked to, to Katie, uh, the statement that they gave her was that they're only involved in production related to the balls that are used on the field, um, right. which is, you know, I, I can understand that. And that might explain, because I believe they're a minority owner. So, but they also wanted to be heavily involved in the process. And so that's a good way for somebody who say only a minority owner to say, okay, well, we're only dealing with a minority of production. Although quite honestly, What Chip realizes: all the baseballs are made exactly in the same way. It's not like anybody starts out making a baseball and says, "Yeah, you know, this is going to turn out to be a commercial ball." They're all intending to make them as game balls. It's just if they're not quite up to snuff, they're not game balls. Like it's just that the standards are very high, and so not all of them become game balls. Uh, But you know, the manufacturing process is the same, which everybody will insist on over and over. And I agree, the manufacturing process is the same. It's not, <laughs> that's not the issue. It's, you know, and they all do meet specifications. I promise, you know, I, well, actually, that's not true. More than you'd think don't, but that's really only happened in the last couple of years. Uh, but, you know, mm. it is what it is. A lot uh, of things
2: are happened in the last couple of years in
3: baseball yeah. land. <laughs> yeah. You you could say that. But yes, yeah, so so the, um there's also, you know, stuff that came out in the uh in the statement to to katie strang saying that that you know when she approached uh the commissioner's officer's statement what they said was yeah we're only involved on the the manufacturing side as far as for oversight in terms of the on-field stuff um which again presents a problem when they told me that you know they had been assured by rawlings that all these were made in the first quarter of 2019 and yet Rawlings comes out and says, oh, yeah, no, we're perfectly happy to do on-field balls from previous seasons. And it the implication being that, you know, if, if I end up getting balls from the postseason and finding out that they weren't made in the first quarter of 2019, I'm not really sure where that puts Rawlings – and mlb so it's just it's awkward it's it's, it's probably a good way to put it and i really really don't want to be in like part of me would want to be a fly on the wall for those uh those telecons and part of me really really doesn't (laughs) so yeah
0: and i mean ultimately regardless of anybody's intentions here um Mm -hmm. And regardless of whether uh, people are being wholly truthful or not, and it could be that ev- everybody's being truthful and everybody has good intentions, no matter <laughs> what, the ultimate result of this is that the sort of faith that the fans have in the integrity of the game is is diminished in a certain way because they're... And, and the way... And the team's... Faith, yeah,
3: I was going to say, it's not just have. the fans. It's the players, it's the coaches, it's the managers, it's the front offices. Well, I don't then mean then the, you have the have all the of the
2: You have all these systems that are based <laughs> on the premise that, that if you hit a baseball a certain way, it's going to act the same way between one season to the next. Like, For example, salary arbitration. Mm -hmm. Like you've got this entire class of players who tend to be very good and very, and young, um, whose, whose salaries are entirely dependent on how their performance is measured. And when that performance is being shifted by, for example, a baseball like Mm -hmm. that, just really, uh, yeah, that's a problem. That's well, a big on problem. Uh,
1: yeah, on the other side too. I saw in a, a quote from an anonymous GM saying, "I don't know how to build a team next year," and I think we saw that with the Twins. Like mm-hmm. they what broke the record for most home runs in a single season, and then couldn't do anything in the postseason. Yeah.
3: I, I I haven't gone through and and looked. I mean, it's it's actually something again. Yeah, I, I almost feel like you know, I I really just do this stuff to like. Cout Rob Arthur's work, or verify it. You know that's that's really it. Is I'm I'm just here to mm-hmm. to show that Rob <laughs> is, is you know doing good research and all that. It's like yeah, so secretly this is all just about Rob. Um, <laughs> Rob, don't is tell him. By the way, oh no, he's the best. He's the best. But uh, but I do have to wonder if um, because the the twins were swept.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: now, granted, they were swept by the Yankees, who also were clearly a very home run heavy team but uh the teams that ended up coming out in the um world series were the teams that had the strongest starting rotations yes so you did end up filtering out the home run teams you know the ones that had the, the tw- how would i put it that i feel like the twins um and this is not to discount what they did at all because it was it was amazing and i i'm so psyched that they did everything they did with this season but it feels like they built a team that would already have been good but then they happened to get lucky in that because the regular season ball flew so far they went from being really good to being insanely outstanding
0: yeah because Mm, yeah
3: the ball happened to you know it was just like randomly they played the right roulette number and it just worked out where oh look suddenly we can break all of these records because we'd already built a team that was going to hit a lot of home runs and now everybody's hitting a lot of home runs so we'll just hit that many more but then by the same token they got swept in the postseason and I don't know how much of that would have been uh would have happened or not had the ball stayed the same and I mean obviously there aren't many situations where you can look at uh, you know, if we'd had the regular season ball, would it have made a difference? There's one or two. Um, I mean, my my favorite. And and by the way, I should should preface by saying, go Nats! I'm really psyched they won. I'm so psyched they won. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, my my best friend is a huge, huge Nats fan, and so like he's you know, family's got season tickets, all the stuff. So like, yeah, he just had a blast. But um, but the the one that keeps coming to mind is Game Five of the Division Series. Yup. <laughs> Dodgers, <laughs> Nats. Yeah. Bottom of the ninth. Mm. Will Smith gets up and it hits what looks like a no doubter, and everybody in the stadium goes crazy. And the pitcher looks like, oh my god, I just killed all our chances in the postseason. And the Dodgers are leaping the dugout fence, and it ends up in Adam Eaton's glove. Yeah, and, I remember yeah. that one. Right. And and, and, and I think, that that's right. Sorry. Yeah.
1: Oh, well, I think Rob in his article even said he factored in weather, so it wasn't like mm-hmm. it was and also that was in I think that was in LA. So weather shouldn't LA.
3: have been yeah. affecting Carrie that much. Well, I mean, the way that I look at it and and I feel like this comes up in a lot of actually all the studies I've done really, or certainly all of them where I've known what to look for ahead of time is uh, I feel like starting with the players and in that case, like the reaction, mm-hmm. that stadium would not have, I mean, every single fan freaked out. They, the actual Dodgers players were jumping out of the dugout to celebrate. There is no way <laughs> that anybody would have like, I mean, you, you don't have however many tens of thousands of people instantly decide, this is going to be a home run and you know, when it isn't like not quite as many people would have risen to their feet. You know, the Dodgers wouldn't have jumped out of the dugout. It looked like a home run off the bat if we'd had the regular season ball, I don't really think there's any question of that. Right. Um, Cause the reaction wouldn't have been the same. I mean, and you see that with players all the time where it's like they'll, you know, it wasn't like it was going to be a foul ball or something, you know, they just, they know they can see it.
1: Well, we saw um, that the opposite during the regular season, like, People going, oh man, like they seemed so mad they missed it. And then it ended up five rows back. Todd and Frazier and
3: did
0: that like five different yes, times during that that's Yeah, I am
3: thinking of yeah. is Todd
1: Frazier. Yeah, Todd,
3: Todd Frazier hit more home runs from his knee this season than I think He's anybody's one-handed. ever done in baseball history. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Such and a then, beautiful swing then, over
2: there. So, so great. What, what
3: I love is that all of the post game interviews were, yeah, I meant to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, because he did that a was couple times strong. and that was sort of the reaction was, yeah, I meant to do that. Yeah. So, but,
0: yeah, I mean, like, it's it's making, the point being, it's making the difference in postseason games, in postseason series. It's making mm-hmm. the difference between a World Series champion and not. And that's right. a big deal, regardless of what team you root for. And mm-hmm. it's hard to have faith in the game when this, like, I, I think about all the time how, like, Deflategate was such a huge yes. scandal. I was
1: just mm-hmm. going to bring was that up. such Hal. a
0: huge scandal. And I feel like mm-hmm. the reaction to this, obviously it's different because Deflategate was like a player and a team kind of doing it versus this is like, we still don't really know the, like again, the intent, but like Deflategate was huge. And I feel like the, the reaction to this has not been proportionate to the problem. <laughs> And also,
1: um, I don't know, um, Dr. Wills, you could probably correct Mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong, but um, it seems there's no standard like there is with a football, like their specifications are so like the weight and everything. So how come there is no equivalent to a baseball?
3: Well, I mean, what I will, it's, I apologize in advance if some of the stuff that I say sounds like I'm paraphrasing Manfred, but that's only because... What he says isn't always wrong. It's just <laughs> the way that it's just the context is important. Um, I mean, just what's most cool, what, what what's cool, and it's one of the things I love about baseball is that you know, with the exception, and I, I I've checked this, <laughs> with the exception of cricket balls that are made at like the very very highest level, um, it, it's the only sport in the world where the ba- where the balls are handmade. Uh, everything else is some kind of machine whatever and even 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 the balls themselves are wound on winding machines uh so the interior is you know like there is a human being involved and it It is yarn so there's you know and it's 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 good yarn but it's not it's not like the kind of thing you go and you you know buy at some you know insert high-end yarn store here so things like the the, uh, the, the thickness and the density varies a little bit. Um, but beyond that, uh, you know, they are stitched together by hand because uh, to this day, they still haven't man- managed to create technology that can do it economically or more economically than, than paying people to do it. And um, they even still skive, basically smooth out the leather by hand. Uh, so it's, it, is a, it is a hand made product with a handmade process. And that means you get a certain level of ball-to-ball variation. Uh the 2019 balls had far less variation than than anything. And uh spoiler alert, I've been looking into that. There will be more coming out, but probably not for a little while because you know we've got postseason balls to talk about. But um Beyond that, yeah, they do tend to just stick to these, these s- broader specifications. And, and Rawlings' internal specs are actually much more rigid. And once you've deconstructed enough balls, you can kind of tell what they are. You know, it's like this particular uh, layer gets uh, wound until it hits a certain weight then they do the next layer of yarn. It gets wound until it hits a certain weight. Then they do the next layer, um, and so you can you can kind of reverse engineer their specs uh, once you've you know sort of done this enough. But even within that, uh, the kind of changes that we've seen have been you know they do what they call process improvements all the time. This is something that that you know certainly. During the regular season, it kind of got glossed over in the because they'd say, yeah, within specifications or they'd say. Um, uh, what was it? No, no meaningful changes to manufacturing mm-hmm. and meaningful was I feel like there was the big word because Doing um, a lot of
0: work in that sentence.
3: Well, yeah, it's, it it goes back to this idea. And again, great. There's a great little table in the Home Run Committee report. From last year, that shows this, which is they do these process improvements all the time, um, and they're related to things like the smoothing of the leather or the drying of the baseballs, which turned out to be like the really big deal thing for 2019. It was because they decided they were going to start, you know, taking a blow dryer to them instead to dry them, and that ended up changing the aerodynamics. You know, kept the ball rounder, forced the seams to stay lower, and but that would have just gone down as a process improvement. Yeah, here we've, we've improved the drawing process. And um, by the way, improving the drawing process ended up making a ball that traveled completely differently, but it doesn't count as a meaningful change because it's the sort of change that Rawlings makes all the time. Um, back but of course, to the, meaningful yeah. is
2: also not a word that has like a scientific <laughs> definition.
3: Yeah, like if they nice? talked
2: about something like a significant change Yeah. Then, like they're hinting at something that is actually defined, but if they just right. call it meaningful, then meaningful can be whatever they want it to mean, which is yeah.
3: nothing and and i mean there the the issue and this is actually one of the things I find a little strange with the postseason, was that there there actually was a report put out um, in the New York Times uh, April tenth I think Joel Sherman uh, had talked to. MLB officials where they were doing their own internal drag testing for the 2019 ball. Um, and, you know, this is again, something that the home run committee insisted on because of course they found out, you know, drags the big issue. Um, and so, yeah, let's, let's get the idea of, of Rawlings going and Rawlings had never done drag testing before. You know, this was a novel concept. Um, again, I'm not going to get started as to why they never did it. Clearly the home run committee was shocked too, but they did internal drag testing um at least you know before april 10th we'll 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 hope they did it earlier than opening day considering that all of the baseballs for batch 1 were made before opening day um it seemed kind of weird to if you were to say to do drag testing after you've already made you know hundreds of thousands of baseballs but you know whatever uh, so the uh um they knew by the time that they did that interview or, you know, made that statement that the drag was lower on the 2019 ball. So, you know, MLB knew going into the regular season there were going to be more home runs. They might not have known how many more, but their own internal testing told them lower drag, lower drag means more home runs. You know, we've already come, we figured that out. The Home Run Committee figured that out. Um, I, I'm a little surprised that they... There doesn't seem to be any, I don't know, record evidence. Nobody's come out and said anything. Certainly not before um, the postseason. Because don't forget, remember, these were made in the first quarter of 2019. So these baseballs have been around presumably since, what, March? Mm -hmm. Um, And yet there's been no reports of internal drag testing related to the postseason ball, um, which, you know, it would have been kind of nice even if it was an anonymous official the same way it was in that, that um, the article back in April to say, Oh yeah, you know, the, the ball is behaving differently for the postseason," season uh, but that either they didn't do the testing or they didn't publicize the testing, but you know, it, it would have been nice at least to tell the teams. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. You think. So
0: yeah. And I guess yeah, so I, mean... I don't, mm-hmm. A little bit like I guess a, in a in a sport where every ballpark is a different size, mm-hmm. you you'd think that like we we would be a little bit more comfortable with quirkiness and variation. And I guess as baseball fans, we are in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, there are lines <laughs> to be drawn in the sand wherever you want to well, draw them.
2: And, and 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 like in a kind of an oxymoronic way, you can have consistent inconsistency. Yes. Yes. I think if the balls were always getting, if the balls were always weird, we wouldn't care about weird balls. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a sentence (laughs) I never thought I was going to say. So
0: There comes the first immature giggling of the the segment. (laughs) Um, So kind of going back to our our discussion about, like, you know, a crisis of faith in the game. Um, So Meredith, I'm kind of Mm -hmm. curious to hear your take on, like, between the the baseballs and the cheating scandal and the minor leagues and everything that's been going on in the game from like a fan base perspective that's kind of, you know, um dampening the faith and the integrity of the game. Um do you think that this is kind of an all-time You, you left low? out Taubman. Taubman oh. and everything else. Yeah, they, how no, could we forget about out, Taubman? Yeah. Like we were kind of saying Well, when we were uh, chatting before the show, it's like anything any of these things would be a horrible horrible scandal on its own and now we have them all together like do you think it's like an all-time low for like baseball like as far as like fan faith in the sport or like how does this compare to like the steroid era for example or like other eras of baseball where there's been like something that has compromised the integrity of the sport like what do you
3: think well one thing I, i will say that that um let's let's put it this way the the reason i mean the steroid era was its own thing what's the crisis of faith is absolutely there and and as much as anything, I think it's because so much is happening that I'm waking up every morning and expecting there to be another thing that's happened. you know it's like, okay, so what's the scandal du jour
2: mm-hmm. because
3: it almost has felt like you know someone was pointing out. Yeah, we're already four scandals on from the 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 postseason ball being different, and it was like November twenty first. Yeah, it's like we've been out of the postseason for three weeks, and this is already where we are. Um, what I think is a bigger deal than that, though, is that things like, for instance, um, the the steroid stuff, and I, I would say that the the sign stealing would sort of fit into this, but uh, being comparable to steroid era, but not entirely is that when we've had scandals before, they've tended to focus on the players and the players doing something wrong. Um, In this case, you know, you go to, you go to Taubman, you go to again, the sign stealing, which, you know, obviously players and coaches and stuff were involved, but there's enough tech in there where it becomes hard to, you know, the idea that only players and coaches were involved becomes a little difficult to justify,
0: and they've um, already they've already seen the emails from the
2: from the right executive. exactly. So you know, we and know the idea
3: that, that that scouts that that scouts were being you know so so front office involvement was was clearly an issue there, and then you know when you you kind of keep going up the ranks to uh, to my the whole minor league baseball thing and that's MLB. And then mm-hmm. there's the ball, which again is Rawlings and m l b um it gets very hard to make the players the focus of the scandals i mean right. you know they're they're just not it's 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 the front offices it's uh you know it's the owners it's the um it's it's m l b itself i mean one of the things um and, and by the way allison you're if you haven't read allison's article um, it it's his baseball perspectives, right yeah rocks. Amazing having to do with the minor league contraction stuff. And in particular, the effect on communities. Um, And I will, I will freely say this is a big deal for me because I did all my graduate work in Montana. And the last thing I want to see is any cutback for the pioneer league. So, you know, let's hear it for minor league baseball. Uh, But the, um, but yeah, the, one of the, the things that I'm surprised hasn't gotten more press is that, you know, very early, um, I guess I shouldn't say early on, but you know when the owners' meetings were starting. Say, uh, one of the things that happened was that uh, when did they have hundred and four, hundred and five Congress people? Yeah, which is a quarter of Congress. We, 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 this is all the House. Uh, four hundred and thirty-five reps for people who aren't necessarily, uh, you know, don't have don't have their numbers up for the House of Representatives, um, came out and wrote a letter to you know an open letter to MLB. Said, and, you know, by the way, uh, we, you know, if you actually go into our communities and and, uh, you know, take away our minor league teams, that this is not something we want and that the government has been supportive in the past. And, you know, we might want to have to think about that a little. Uh, it was that kind of language. I'm paraphrasing. But that was that was pretty much the way it was put. Yeah. So, and, like, you we have know, candidates you get for get a quarter of Congress. Right, right, I mean, you know, it's, and, um, oh, okay, I, I gotta read, this is just the most ridiculous, uh, if, if, you're, if you're put up with this, most ridiculous tweet that, that, um, that Ted Cruz put out, all okay. uh, oh people, God. um, oh, no, it, that's why This it's is so a funny. weird game it, of Mad Libs? No, no, I, it, it just, you love it, um, so, the, uh, this gets, because, yeah, Bernie Sanders came out and, and, you know, had the same, uh, uh, same kind of thing that that uh, this all of these Congress people said, you know, that this is this is really bad, and there's a lot of reasons it's really bad, and and I don't even understand. Certainly, financially, I can't really justify it because it's not like it's going to save them a ton of money. Nope. So I again, does it doesn't make any sense to me, but it, and this is it's, it's like a couple one mid-market up, free agents worth of money per team, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a good. I like that comparison. That's a good comparison, um, as opposed to just I think somebody put out like less than one fifth of one percent what their net profits are in a given year or something, which is just like context. okay. Yeah, I mean it's it's a uh, yeah. So basically, it's it's they're they're saving the change that you might find in the couch. Yep. Jeez. Um, oh, but but yeah. So so Ted Cruz's uh, response and this this is I, I guess it's a response to to first to Ben. Shapiro, who has to come in and oh, attack. Oh my God! Okay. It gets yes. Yeah, so you go from Ben <laughs> Shapiro to Ted Cruz. So you know. And by the way, I don't mean to be. This is this is not about the politics so much as the reaction, Um, because Ted Cruz says, you know, uh, referring to to Ben Shapiro says, Ben, that's not nearly socialist enough. By government mandate, all pitchers now must now pitch the average speed. We'll just redistribute miles per hour from fast pitchers to the slower pitchers. And no batter will be allowed to hit more than the league average. And I'm just like, it's great when you
2: don't understand baseball or socialism.
3: Yeah, it's it's just I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, I. it's not entirely on topic, but I just thought like, you know, my God, especially when you consider that here's a guy who, you know, if anything, shouldn't he like actually want this to go through because it's all capitalism or something. Okay, so yeah. I don't really get it. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like, pick your sides anyway. But, but the idea being that this feels like it's spread a lot. Um, every team, you know, people, I know that Manfred has said it's just going to be the Astros, but this was 2017. There, there's been a lot of changes uh, with front offices since then. There's, ab, you know, or not even that, but with players, things like, every, no team stays intact anymore at any level. Yeah. So players, like, for instance, that's that part of the reason this started is because Mike Fiers came out and said he was with the A's now. Mm -hmm. came out and said yeah we did this with the Astros in 2017 and he you know sort of was like the first one to go on the record by name and say this and there's been a lot of changes since then of people who were with the Astros and aren't anymore at any number of levels Beltran Um, being one of them sorry what Beltran Beltran. being one of them Beltran being one of them yeah yeah yeah, there's, there's the, the point being, though, that it's not going to be any any one um, team. The, the odds of it, they're going to end up, regardless of, of how it works out, they're not going to be doing their due diligence if they don't end up investigating a lot of teams. <laughs> because there's yeah. just too many other people who have gone to other teams. Mm-hmm. So that becomes sort of a crisis of faith. You know, not just for the fans, but there's a level of insecurity with any given team. Because, you know, if MLB is doing this investigation and suddenly a lot of teams are going to get dragged into the investigation. And it's all going to be finger pointing. I mean, if you already start with an A's pitcher finger pointing at the Astros, you know, everybody, you know, how how long before the melee starts, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have the minor league cuts, which I'm not really sure again i don't entirely understand the the motivation behind it because it doesn't feel like it would cost them that much to to not continue the system i mean you know, I've, I've heard minor arguments from 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 people that it's more you know but but again not nothing that that sort of seems to pan out as far as the kind of benefits that mlb and the owners normally go for yeah. Um, and instead, they're just ending up with people in Congress threatening their their you know potential uh, economic status within the uh, you know just within the country. You know, yeah. I mean, I've I've you know, I think Bernie Sanders specifically said antitrust exemption. Yep. But you know, yeah. con- con- the Congress people were were a little more subtle than that. Yeah. But, but... Y- so it's like. The fact that, that all of this has has started all at once and I'm trying to figure out how things could be being played more badly than they are, you know, it's like, you know, here's a shovel, keep digging, is kind of what it feels like.
1: Yeah, like, dig mm-hmm. up, stupid. Stupid. <laughs> well, yeah. my fear is, you know, they're, like we were saying, you know, a lot of fans are losing faith and, um you know like we said it's it's like this rolling ocean of scandals like wave after wave and there is a lot of animosity between the players and the owners right now so it seems it's not a given,
3: but there's which is, the commissioner the, didn't help with, by the way, yes, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, like he, he came out with a very, very firm statement saying, yeah. um, basically, no, I think he said no economic concessions, yes, yeah, so that's exactly what he said, um, but it was just like, really, do you do you really want to pick this battle right this now, too? I, you know, don't don't you have enough on your plate?
1: So, so it so. seems like we might have a strike
3: or a lockout or I think might a strike. Might. Yes. yeah well <laughs> holding out i was home, gonna huh? say that's really optimistic <laughs> I mean, of you I, I'm, I i'd say it's more an over under on when it starts But yeah. then where does baseball
1: go from that because if people already are losing faith in the sport like will that just be the
3: capper oh um, god this is I, killing I me some, i was <laughs> gonna say no i've had some interesting discussions with people about this and uh, ultimately it kind of comes down to first of all you know in something like that there's always a bad guy as it were and when there's you know i okay i hate to say it i actually remember the 94 95 strike i have a number of friends who don't but i i remember when it happened i remember um yeah i know the the point is that like i have colleagues who just they were far too young to have any memory of this so it's like Mm -hmm. all right baby but um They're actually very well-qualified baseball people. They just happen to be, you know, young enough to not remember the strike. But um, in that case, you know, it was... And I believe when it's happened before, the players are the bad guys. And it's it's easy to do that because, of course, the players are depriving us of baseball. Um, Like I was just saying, though, it's a little harder to... Come up with the players as the source of all the problems or you know almost any of the problems actually, and so i can i'm not really sure what the response would be from fans uh, you know, I can absolutely see like let's put it this way if the if the if there is a strike, I'm on the player' side, yeah, yeah, um, and it just becomes a question of how i almost feel like it's going to be something that that's probably going to require that the players think it through because they shouldn't be being vilified uh they're they're not responsible for any of the stuff that's been like the major stuff that's been going on and the only way that they're going to end up being the bad guys is if people start getting on that bandwagon of okay yeah you're the contract that you're asking for is some number that is larger than the context that I'm thinking in. Um, you know, so it's like, what do you mean you're asking for $120 million for something without taking into account that actually according to what he should be paid, it should be like, you know, 180. Uh, and by the way, these owners are worth, you know, billions and billions of dollars. So that's not really a big deal. Particularly, I mean, if they if they're bringing in, you know, ten to eleven billion dollars a year <laughs> in right. net profits, that's that's a you know they they can afford the extra fifty million. Um, so, like the numbers, I think, can be a problem if the context isn't there. Yeah. Um, and that that they just. You know have to make people aware of the fact that they're you know it's not just about the contracts it's about the fact that for instance, nobody knows what the twenty twenty ball is going to be like um mm-hmm. I, I guess I also have to wonder um even the, at this point, even the front offices aren't happy about stuff uh, I have no idea where front offices come down in strikes yeah. uh I, yeah, I mean I that's just know. i have i I literally don't um yeah. but but they're you know i guess i'm trying to figure out who who would be happy with what's going on right now uh, anybody ownership mm-hmm. ownership <laughs> maybe um you know although even at that point i mean at, at is there a tipping point where you know if you get if your fans are so disillusioned that you're they're going to just drop your sport entirely if you decide you're going to cut off such a large percentage of the fan base you know and, and i you know allison i think you pointed this out in in your article is that like most of the areas say in the pioneer league are you know they're already blacked out for a whole bunch of mm-hmm. like for at least one major league team anyway so it's not like they can even watch the major league team that's like you know 500 miles away
0: teams in Montana, um, the towns in Montana that have these teams that are being contracted are blacked out of the Seattle Mariners 800 miles away. Oh
1: my exactly. Gosh, and it's crazy. Yeah. It's Assert. crazy.
3: Um, so it's like, you know, all right, you're you're doing your best to to alienate the fan base as much as. And I get, you know, the TV contracts thing and the fact that as long as those TV contracts exist, it's not it doesn't sort of doesn't matter if they have fans or not because they're like bundled with other things. So if you're a football fan, you buy the, the, the TV package, you know, the baseball channel gets picked up too. They get the money too. That's, that's how it works. But even those TV contracts won't last forever. And if you've already alienated all your fans and the TV contracts go away, then what happens? Yeah. Or, or, or let's say that, that, uh, okay. Okay long, long shot, um so that or the 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 little holographic stickers on the hats, for instance, merchandise, so let's say the 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 fact that you know all those those baseballs that were being sold by Rawlings with the authentication stickers saying that they're game balls, and people realize, okay, I've bought this authenticated thing that I've been told is a game ball that turns out isn't um does that have a ripple effect into like, okay, maybe this hat that I'm buying isn't a real authenticated hat Mm -hmm. either. Yeah, You know, like, like I I feel like there's a lot of potential repercussions that I'm not really sure. Even my point being, I don't even think, I think even the owners need to rethink some of this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes like, and going back to like, the players like who ends up coming down as the bad guy in the end Mm -hmm. and, and the players being seen as the bad guy. I think that like at least, and it's, it's easy to be in our like bubbles and our silos, like as like Mm -hmm. baseball nerds and people who write about baseball and talk about baseball all the time. I but I do think that there is a groundswell of like support for the players this time around, but on the other side of the same coin, Like a lot of these actions being taken by front offices and by baseball itself, like the contracting of minor league teams, reducing access to, you know, players who, people might connect with as people because they they aren't the millionaires right those players are minor league players that don't make any money um so those are players that you can like relate to more on a human level and aren't putting on this high pedestal of oh you're a millionaire i can't relate to and front mm-hmm. offices constantly championing championing efficiency 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 over human elements of the game i feel like mm-hmm. makes it almost easier to uh, commodify and dehumanize these players and, you know, demonize them in these sorts of fights.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I guess it, I, I just, let's put it this way. There's going to be a strike. I just want it to do some good. I want it to mean yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there's a lot of stuff. And, and like, you know, the, of course the minor leagues will end up with a problem because, uh, you know, the, the the collective bargaining agreement, which is ultimately what the strikes, at least the timing of the strikes relates to that. I have a feeling this collective bargaining agreement may be a little more nuanced than some of them have been in the past. Uh, at the very least, I, I sincerely hope that they, they look into getting involved in um, oversight for the baseball. Because right now, yeah. every single piece of equipment that ends up on the field has to be approved by the rules committee. Except the baseball. Oh, yep it's it's in the it's in the official rules actually. So like, Funny if, you two, if you have a two tone bat, if your bat is more than one color, you literally have to get it approved by the rules committee. Um, anything that isn't like sort of strictly to whatever spec has to be approved, and yet for some reason there isn't a comparable rule for the ball, and it seems like that might not be a bad idea. And that would be an obvious thing for the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, But the minor leagues, unfortunately, never do well in those either because of the people doing the negotiation. So I don't know if that's going to change or not. I'd like to see it change. Um, But, you know, at the very least, it's nice to see minor league communities, communities that have minor league teams, really, you know, fighting for keeping them. Um, and giving context, you know that these aren't just like these teams don't necessarily. It, it's not like they necessarily came into existence because, like, poof, uh, MLB needed a place to put their minor leaguers. You know, right, a lot of the right. teams actually have histories that are far, far. What's it? The Chattanooga Lookouts, I think, have existed in some form since the 1880s. Yes. Wow. Yes. You know, they're I'm, the I'm oldest sorry, minor like, league
0: team, and they're gone. They're going to be gone now.
3: Right, and it just why um you know it's i feel like there's got to be better solutions um you know if for whatever reason that team doesn't want you know that affiliate there then th- it doesn't mean you have to kill the team right. uh it, actually well, one thing yeah sorry
2: oh is it teams teams change their affiliates all the time like that's, oh god yes that's just yeah. a normal part of of running an organization and yeah and it it doesn't mean that you
3: have to kill the team yeah i mean i, I will admit like for instance the colorado springs team it seems a little bit like a hot potato actually yeah there's there's been a lot of uh if you follow like which teams have had that as an affiliate in the last 10 years or so it's almost like okay i really hope the music doesn't stop well that you know while we have Colorado Springs as our affiliate uh, mostly because it's at like seven and a half thousand feet and minor leaguers I know who've, uh, who've played there. It's not their favorite park to play in, <laughs> you know? So, so that's, yeah, that's, sure. that's one that's, that's going to be a little, uh, a little, you know, that becomes one that's tough to justify, but you know, I'm sure people in Colorado Springs would miss it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I want, I want, Whatever happens it would be nice to to know what the ball is gonna do or at least know enough to know what to expect, roughly going into the next season. It would be nice to uh to, you know, have better, you know, ground rules as far as uh, you know, let's figure out the science dealing stuff. Let's let's figure out the uh you know, having having basically comes a lot of it comes down to players being treated fairly and having information and you know can we also not kill baseball for a huge portion of the country you know it's like we don't have to break it all
1: <laughs> we don't have <laughs> to
0: break it all
1: that would be nice yeah yeah
0: I think not I do. breaking it all is a good uh, way to transition to Maggie's mm-hmm. happier question.
2: I have an important question, and this is very relevant to the fairly significant contingent of baseball crafters out there. Um, mm-hmm. And I just have to know what you're working on right now. If there's anything baseball related or you know, holiday gifts coming up, what do you have on the needles
3: <laughs> right now? Of course, and of course, you know I've been doing this. I've been knitting through the entire time we're talking, because that's just what I do. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just it's it's this one's just a sock. Um I have any number of things on needles right now. Um, in fact, I need to hurry up and that that the Ty Cobb sweater is so close to finished and I need to just finish it. Um, so that's the baseball related thing, I guess. And uh as far as holidays, uh I have what I I mean most people might think it's a downer. I tend to think it's pretty enlightened. Our family just doesn't give gifts at holidays. Hey, whatever Uh, works. Yeah. It's well, it's, it's, it doesn't mean we don't give gifts. It just means that like, you know, if you find something that's like perfect for somebody, then you get it for them regardless of the time of year. And, um, that way you don't get stuck with like token gifts. So, um, I, I, I've been known to give gifts around holidays, but it doesn't necessarily mean because it's a holiday. So, um, that means you know if if people choose not to send me Christmas gifts, I I I won't necessarily be offended because I won't send them anything. So, but you know if they want to, they can. <laughs> it's fair, hey. Yeah, so all well,
2: fair and good. love and Christmas shopping. Something Excited like to that. see that final Ty
3: Cobb sweater. Oh, it's it's is, so uh, close. It's I'm, I'm, I'm literally like it, it, the, getting the plaque so It's basically what technical terms. I the placket is basically done. I'm just in the process of stitching like whip stitching it on. Uh I need yep. to finish the buttonholes and then I need to uh to actually do the logo. And I think that's it. Oh, and so the buttons on, obviously. Yeah um, I but, I just finished a it. sweater.
2: I just finished a sweater for my husband that was sitting untouched for six months because I really hated the way I did a tubular bind off on a two by one ribbing and I just needed to redo it. That's all I needed to do. And so it sat there for six months. But you I just have... finished it like yesterday. He wore it
3: today. I, I okay, this this you'll appreciate. I finished the sweater uh earlier this year, a couple months ago. When did I start it? 2011, 2012? That's amazing. My have prevented I me from being able do to do not... that i i actually have i mean if if you ask me projects that are on needles or or you know works in progress that are on hold um i literally do go back and finish projects that are old enough where i'm kind of embarrassed to admit how old they are (laughs) um but but yeah so i mean yeah that one it was you know seven or eight years in the making but it's it's a gorgeous sweater i mean i'm really glad i finished it it's really nice
0: fantastic
3: Yeah.
0: Um, So we are going to take one more break. And when we get back, we are going to do uh, like we do every week, walk off wins where each of us talks about what is making us happy this week, baseball related or otherwise. So stay tuned for that. And we are back. Um, So like we always do, we're going to do walk off wins. Um, So, Maggie, what is your walk off win for this week?
2: Um, well, this is Thanksgiving week. Uh, and Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. um and but specifically, what made me really happy this week was my son's school. And, you know, he's in kindergarten, so it's our first year with this school. It turns out one of their like regular things that they do every year is they get all the classes together, and it's like a little potluck that parents and lots of different classes will will contribute to. And it was just like they did a little, a little like song and dance of Thanksgiving songs. There are apparently many Thanksgiving songs. I didn't know they're not good, but the kids are adorable <laughs> and that's all that matters. And it's only kindergarten. So I didn't have to sit through other people's kids, which is great. <laughs> um, that's the best part, right? It was really great, yeah. uh, but it was just it for like a way to kick off my favorite holiday. It was just, it was so sweet and earnest and the, the teachers were so into it and everybody really just came together and like um also I just had a massive, massive quantity of food and I think there is still a brownie in my coat pocket that I just remembered and I should get to that before the cat <laughs> does. But yeah, Heck so yeah. so that's that's my walk off win was mm-hmm. was Tommy's kindergarten Thanksgiving party. Beautiful. Linda, what is your walk off win for this week?
1: Mine is kind of similar that it's Thanksgiving related. But um, we have a therapy dog come into work for our Read to Rover program. And he is going to be in the dog show on Thanksgiving. Um, yes! Oh my gosh, the Westminster dog show? Uh, It's not the one. He's going to be in Westminster. But this is the one in Philadelphia, I think it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is
3: like a a real serious dog show?
1: yeah yeah he. uh, no spoilers i won't say but look for drew Drew. and he's he's a belgian tavern he's big he's fluffy he's so soft he's got little pointy ears i Um, I think i think he's either in the sporting group or the working group i can't remember which one is which But yeah, so I was talking to Patty, his owner, and she's like, yeah, this is like my pet. And she was like, and everybody else there is getting paid like serious money (laughs) to show their dogs. And um, I asked her if she saw Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir. She said they were there, but she did not see them which was very heartbreaking (laughs) to me because I really want to know what they're like in person. Um, But yeah. So look for our, our wonderful Drew. He also goes to, since he is a therapy dog, he also goes to a local children's hospital and the kids there have kind of seen him growing up because she's been bringing him since he was a puppy at eight weeks old. So so he might be featured because of his work that he does. We're not sure. The producers could cut it. But yeah, so we're very happy that we have a a star as our Rita Rover dog. That's
0: Yay. So cute.
1: That's I awesome. I love
0: true. I will be watch. I hope that I can finagle watching the dog show instead of football. But I think I might be outvoted in that
2: regard. Um, you should come to my DVRs house. We only watch... We only watch the dog show at my house. And, yeah, <laughs> and dog show and Miracle on 34th Street. Bam, bam, bam.
0: Beautiful. <laughs> um, so my walk-off win for this week is not Thanksgiving related, um, but we are hosting Thanksgiving at my house for the first time this year. So we'll see how that goes. I'm going to be doing some of the cooking. So eek, we'll see. <laughs> uh, so that's that's happy. But my walk-off the turkey's thought. Yep, yep. It's <laughs> okay, it's ready checking. to go. Um, and so, um, my walk off win is that last weekend, um, I went back to Baltimore for my friend's birthday and it was the first time I had been back in Baltimore since August. Um, and I moved, uh, for those of you who don't remember or know, I moved, I lived in Baltimore for six years for grad school. And then I moved back to New Jersey for this year to do my fellowship, Um, and so I've been missing Baltimore a heck of a lot I had really come to call it home during my six years there and so going months and months at a time without being there was sad especially without seeing my dog Um, and so I finally got to spend a weekend in Baltimore because it was my friend's birthday so we went down there we went to all the Baltimore breweries that I had missed so much Um, and I got (laughs) to see my puppy so I'm Cricket Cricket. I missed my puppy so much and I got to love her and Michael Got to meet her for the first time, so I don't have to dump him um, because she liked. <laughs> him. In other
3: words, Craig, Craig. I was gonna say Craig liked Mike. That's that's the way it's gotta work, right? Exactly. It was like love, love me, love my dog type thing. Yeah. Exactly.
0: He was like meeting your parents, you know. That's one thing. Meeting your friends, whatever. But cricket, that's the true test. And I think he appropriately mm-hmm. bribed her with, with toys. So I think I think that he's in the trust circle now. So that means I don't have to uh, get rid of him. So that's good. Um, mm-hmm. yep. So yeah, it was a great weekend. Michael hadn't been in Baltimore since like middle school, I think he said. So I got to show him um, <laughs> a city that I spent so much of my time in. Um, so that was nice. It was just a nice weekend being back in my old stomping grounds. It was happy. So that's my walk. Great.
3: Right. I love it, so.
0: Um, Doctor Meredith Wills, what is your walk-off win?
3: Um, well, mine is going to sound really minor because it's actually sort of relating to just the the conversation that we've had. In that, in the entire time we've talked, I only heard the cats break one thing in the other room, <laughs> and in my mind, that is definitely a walk-off win.
0: Hell yeah, that's a victory!
3: Good oh, job, yeah. kitties! Yay! <laughs> Yeah, they might have been doing it quietly so i may go in there and discover there's more but i only heard one loud smash yeah
0: <laughs> that's great um so. so that does it for the show this week thank you so much dr wells for coming on again we really appreciate your time
3: thank you for having me you guys are always by the way i i should finish by saying that that the podcast i did with you before hands down my dad's favorite Yes. Like he oh, yeah. refers to it all the time. We passed so the he's gonna, he's, he's gonna be ecstatic that I've talked to you guys again. Yes, now that we've first, had you on yes. twice,
2: we get yep. to officially call you friend of the show, right? Yeah. Like that's Oh, I hope so. That's oh, I mean I've kind of been calling you that already, but like I feel like now it's, it's, official, it's official, official. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um
0: yep. So for those of you who haven't read it yet, you should absolutely read um, Dr. Wills' article on The Athletic mm-hmm. along with um, along with Katie Strang's uh, accompanying article on this whole process that we uh, just spent the last hours of talking about. Um, get more details on that. Read those articles in The Athletic. Um, in the meantime, Meredith, where can people find you on the interwebs?
3: Um, well, basically Twitter is is the the place to look and i have a a painful handle which is uh short for baseball astrophysics uh, bbl underscore and then astrophysics without the i because that was just the character limit back when i made the handle (laughs) um i i know someone's going to want to say something about my etsy shop and it does exist but i'm not going to go into too much detail because since I've been doing all the baseball research. I can't do anything with the covers until we know what's going on with the baseball. So it's kind of been on hiatus. I should just put it on vacation. But yeah, so Twitter is, is a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I, I think I tweet interesting stuff. I, I just, I just retweet a lot of Allison stuff and that seems to work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I always appreciate, um, getting Mm -hmm. the coveted retweet um so, <laughs> so yes you can find dr meredith wills on twitter follow her on twitter you can find the show on twitter at a pot of their own you can find each of us on twitter i am at petite phd where are you maggie
2: at maggie 162
0: and you linda at linda service so follow all of us on twitter follow the show on twitter follow Mason avenue on twitter facebook and instagram at amazing avenue um we are covering all of the mets coaching staff hires and um all of the various reaction to that linda has an article coming out soon about what the what we're thankful for this year and ahead of thanksgiving it'll be a really good article it features like a a lot of the staff and what we are thankful for this year mets related um so that's that's coming uh all of our free agent profiles are going to start hitting uh hitting soon so look out for that so yeah look for all of our content at amazing avenue um the intro and outro to this show is by bunga and you can subscribe to the podcast please do that on apple podcast stitcher uh wherever you get your podcasts from uh so please rate and review the show it really helps people find it let's go mets and don't forget there is no crying in podcasting